talking about David and Goliath. Here we go. If you were to ask someone, anyone, a Bible story that they knew, more than likely you're going to get David and Goliath, right? Like probably top five Bible stories that someone knows because the reality is they maybe heard it in Sunday school or for somebody that they know. Um, and for those, right, who grew up in the church or, you know, spent time in church, this, this story, you know what you've heard it? Like I said, so many times you might be like, oh, I've heard that before. Uh, David beating Goliath, you know, we can beat our giants. Why didn't my Sunday school teacher tell me that David cut off Goliath's head? Like, I felt like I would have listened better if, you know, I, I, they told me that in, in the Sunday school service. Um, so we don't want to miss the story, though. We don't want to miss what the Holy Spirit wants to share with you today as, you know, we talk about this story. Uh, the beauty of Scripture is this, is that it's alive. And we can read something that we've read for 20 times, uh, and in that 21st time that we read it, something just sticks out different than that we've never read before. And because that's the Holy Spirit speaking to us, drawing things into our mind, actually making something become more real, more relevant to us. And so let's enter this passage of Scripture uh, with fresh eyes. Let's have fresh eyes, open hearts to what the Spirit wants to say this morning. Uh, and there is actually a whole lot in this scripture. This scripture is, there's tons to unpack, and we could spend a couple Sundays on this section of scripture because uh, there's that much in it. And I have the honor and the challenge to do it in like 30 minutes. And so uh, we're going to go through this. We're going to pick out uh, these main points, and hopefully as we read this, there's something that resonates with you uh, this Sunday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we can look at this story, Lord, of David and Goliath, and we can see what it's going to speak to our hearts today. Lord, we want to have open hearts to what you want to do. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the impact that this scripture has. And Lord, we pray as we read it today, Lord, that it would impact us in a mighty way. In your name we pray, Father. Amen. So, we're going to jump around in this chapter, chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, because uh, there's actually 58 verses. And I don't just want to sit up here, you know, and sit down on this step and just like quietly read you to sleep. Um, so we're just going to take sections of this, and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to glean some points from this. So 1 Samuel 17, we're going to start at verse 4. It says this. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to pop up here on the screen. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Oh, someone touched my back, and that was <laughs> There we go. <laughs> It's like, oh, who's behind me? So I legit got scared. Uh, <laughs> anyways, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said this, Day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So, 
Who are these Philistines? They're a group of people still living in the land of Canaan that the Israelites had actually failed to drive out. And so the Philistines, they were actually the strongest, most technologically advanced people of the time. They were the first civilizations uh, to work with metals. So they're the first ones to be able to actually have metal. And because of that, they had these superior, majestic weapons. And this was the period of history, actually, called the Iron Age. And the Philistines were in the forefront of that movement. And so you'll see right in the beginning, right, they describe everything that uh, Goliath has on, the bronze you know, a chest plate, the, on the things on his legs, his spears. And that is to say, like, hey, look at me. I'm pretty awesome. I have all these weapons. And what the Israelites had at this time was rocks and wood. So, not a fair fight, right? Doesn't, it's, uh, it's not, it doesn't seem fair. So, the is, so Israel, right, was intimidated by them. And as everybody was at this time. But the promise of God, of Israel, was that they would inhabit this land. That was the promise that was given to them. And what we'll see actually throughout 1 Samuel is that Israel just never actually believed it. And so I'm going to give you just a quick oral history up to this point of what's happened with Philistine army in Israel and this tension that was there. See, the Philistines, they first appeared in 1 Samuel 4 where they came up against Israel. There was actually a double defeat of Israel that first time. They captured, the Philistines captured the ark and the death of Hophni and Phinehas and Eli happened. But then in the following two chapters, five and six, we get this remarkable story how God brought the Philistines into submission without any assistance from Israel. So God came on their behalf and, you know, the Philistines were in submission and the, the, actually Israel did nothing. And so again, in 1 Samuel 7, we see that the Philistines, they come up against Israel. They just, you know, can't get enough. And so they draw a line against Israel, and they like had this line that they it's line of battle. I picture it as this. I'm not sure if you're gonna picture it like this. I picture like a middle school dance, you know. And so like there's like the boys on one side, and then the girls on the other side, and there's a legit fear of like who's gonna talk to who. And so um, then somebody like makes that first move, and they were like, oh my goodness. And so that's what I picture when they say they draw a line against Israel. I don't know why, but anyways. A little insight into how my beautiful mind works. And so, Israel, right, they return to the Lord. Samuel prayed for Israel, and the Lord delivers, delivers them from defeat again and from the threat. And so the threat actually just continues on through 1 Samuel. And this is why Israel asked for a king in 1 Samuel 8. They were looking for a king who would go out and fight their battles. And it's like, really? Like, he's, <laughs> he's been there, God, and he's fought your battles. But they felt that this king would give them legitimacy as a nation. We got a king. We're just like you. Look at us, and this king will fight for us. And he'll be there, and he'll be tall, he'll be strong, he'll be beautiful. But Israel, right, forgotten that God, he had been there. He had delivered them from their enemies. Hannah says in 1 Samuel 2.10, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. And so the promise is there that Israel will be okay. God will fight for them. God has them. Only when Israel abandoned God did their enemies actually get the upper hand. But God says this, you know what? I hear your request. I'll give you a king in his name, and he shall do this in 1 Samuel 9, 16. It says this, he shall save my people, God is saying, 
from the hand of the Philistine. This is like his job description. One line. He will save my people from the hand of the Philistines. This is what Saul's going to do. Now, Saul goes to battle. 1 Samuel 13, 14. And then through Saul's foolishness, 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 we'll just say that, uh, it led to the defeat of the Philistines, but you know, it actually wasn't great. Many sins were committed, and Saul's time as king was marred with hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of his rule. He just couldn't do it. So here we are again. Here, here we are again in the story. It seems like it's on repeat. Philistines on one side of the valley, Israel on the other side. Who's going to make the first dance move? And so a giant appears and makes this challenge. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Fighting words, right? Classic, my dad is stronger than your dad type moment here. Well, this is easy for Israel. We got a king. Not only do we have a king who will fight for us, right? But if we remember from last week, he's tall, he's dark, he's handsome, and actually he's pretty tall too. If you remember from last week's sermon, it says that Saul was a head taller than all the rest. And so I imagine Israelite, the Israelites are all in their line, and they see the, you know, this Goliath come out and make this challenge. And then he's like, hey, let's do this. Bring your guy out. We're going to fight. And I measure, imagine the Israelites look down the line, and they make eye contact with Saul, and they're like, hey, that's you, man. You are our king. You are to fight for us. Literally, your job description. Literally, why you've been appointed. But instead of Saul stepping up to fight. In verse 11, it says, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed, and they were terrified. And I asked myself, why? Like, don't you remember all the times that they saved you without a king, Israel? Saul, don't you remember the promise that would say, that you would save Israel from the hands of the Philistines? Saul, like, don't you remember this? Israel, don't you remember actually Hannah's words that your adversaries actually will be broken? But somehow in the midst of this, the tables have turned. Philistines think, we got this. And Israel's like, we don't got this. And it should be opposite. So the Philistines, they should have been crippled by fear. But it was actually Israel that was crippled by fear. And so how true can this be in our life? This is how the enemy makes us not to move. We look across the valley, we're standing on one side, and we forget what he says to us. The Lord has spoken to us. We forget how he's led us and guided us, and even the victories that we've had before. But we see this new obstacle across the valley. And we're like, I can't do it. I can't face it. And we look at this valley and we're like, this valley is huge. This valley gap is massive. I, I don't want to go down through this valley. And we stand on one side and we look across and we just feel defeated because the first thing that defeats us is fear. 
I'm not sure what it is to cross the valley in your life right now. I'm not sure what you're standing across and looking at. Maybe, you know what, you need to make a big decision, but you just can't because you're struck by fear. What if I make the wrong decision? I'm not sure what to do. Maybe across that valley is a job that you're facing and you're like, it's just too much and I just can't do it. Maybe it's debt. Maybe it's a difficult life situation. Maybe it's sickness. And maybe it's just simply you don't like the world that we live in and you look across the valley and you're defeated because of fear has crept in. But we can be just like Israel sometimes. We forget what the Lord has spoken to us. We forget what he has promised us. We forget that he has come through and that he's already with us. So the big question is, what fears do you need to bring to Jesus? What fears are crippling you right now? Where you're like, I just can't move. I just can't look at this. What do I need to lay down at his feet today? Because the reality of fear is that it can cause us this, not to move. And it causes us not to trust. And therefore, we stand and we're not able to move. Already defeated, and actually no one has even made a move yet, and we're already defeated. And it's true in this story. For 40 days, the Philistines, they came forward every morning and evening and took this stand. In 1 Samuel 17, 16, it says that. And Saul, the king, the one who was to fight for Israel, and the promise that was already there of victory, he couldn't move for 40 days. He did nothing. And Israel, right, it would just be like that tough guy thing. You know, the Philistines would come, they stand on one side, and Israel would come out, and then they would just shout across from each other, yeah, well, you know what, my dad's better than your dad, and um, you know what, I once hit a home run, and they're, like, and they're just shouting across the valley at each other, but then they get back, and Israel's like, oh my goodness, I don't want to face that guy. They put on this front when they're shouting across the valley at their enemy, but they're actually full of fear, and they can't even move. Why is there such fear amongst the people? Is because their leader won't even take on their champion. Saul won't even go and take on the champion. When your king doesn't want to face their champion for 40 days, and he doesn't step up, naturally, people will be afraid. So now we'll come back to the enemy across the valley. David's going to enter the story here. First Samuel 20 says this, Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a, sh- of a shepherd, being a good you know, shepherd. He's like, I'll find somebody to look after my sheep. He loaded up and set out, as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry he was. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers, Hey, how are you doing? As they were talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the man standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now Saul, he simply resorted to bribery in this story. Listen, if anyone takes on this guy, you know, except me, like, I will give you my daughter and no taxes. 
This is the sign of a fearful man. You're like, I'll give you anything, but I don't want to die. Now David comes along and he runs to the battle lines to hear what has taken place. He's excited. He runs to the battle lines. He wants to see his brothers. And he hears the challenge and then sees everyone run in fear. And then is told, listen, the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. Then David, he asks two questions. Like, what will the king give? Then he asks this rhetorical question. He asks, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? These are the first words from David that we hear in the Bible, first recorded words from him. And he is the only one who expresses contempt and not terror or not fear. He is the only one who remembers the promises. These are the first words that we hear from him, the one who is remembering the promises. He's like, who, like, who is this guy that would talk to Israel like that? Doesn't he know who our God is? Doesn't he know what our God has said? Like his God, this Philistine God, this Dagon is his name, is a dead God. Our God is living. Like how dare he? But apparently Israel didn't know that either. And we begin to see the effects of the Holy Spirit, of the Spirit who had rushed upon David in 1 Samuel 16. We have David filled with the Spirit. He sees Goliath differently, actually. The Spirit came upon him. He was anointed in 1 Samuel 16. And he sees actually what the Lord sees. And so when we are filled with the Spirit, we see things the way the Lord sees it. That's huge. When we're filled with the Spirit, we see things differently. We don't see this massive enemy who can just simply crush us. We see the promise and we see that who is this guy to defy us? Doesn't he know what the Lord says? On one side, the Israelites, they're assuming defeat. What good is all that stuff if you're dead? Like, what's good if, it, if I have to pay taxes if I'm dead? What good if it is I have a wife if I'm dead? Like, they're just assuming defeat. But then on the other side, David assumes victory. Guys, don't you remember what is promised? Don't you remember what is said? So David takes on the challenge. As we know, he doesn't see why not to. And it says this, Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. He has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. The uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. See, he's seeing that time in the pasture that we talked about last week has prepared him for this moment right now. That time of waiting, as even Dan said, he waited so long to become the king. And we sometimes find that time of waiting to be the worst, but the Lord's doing something to prepare us for what he has next. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that this was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistines cursed David by his gods. 
As the Philistines moved closer to attack them, David ran as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching in his bag, he took out a stone, he slung it, struck it, the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And then I didn't even enter the spot where he took cut off his head. You know, I'm keeping it PG here too. Um, so Saul waited a long time, right? 40 days to hear somebody say these words, I'll, I'll come and fight Goliath. But to hear them now from the mouth of this boy, almost it felt like a cruel joke to him. The good news is that someone, right, finally came to fight Goliath. Amen. Thank you. The bad news is it was this little shepherd boy. And David's words to Saul almost made the matter worse. Let no man's heart fail because of him. It almost sounds like all right, everyone, calm down. I've got the situation completely under control. And it seemed ridiculous to Saul that it was coming from this teenage boy. It felt like youthful pride, but it wasn't. And Saul essentially told David, he's like, hey, listen, like, he's been a soldier longer than you've been alive. Like, he's been a soldier since his youth. How can you ever defeat him? Again, this shows that Saul looks on the outward instead of the inward. We fall in that too. Sometimes we look on the outward rather than the inward. But David knows God has prepared him for this moment. He's like, I've killed a lion and a bear. And that time in the pasture is where he did that. This is God's plan of preparation, that pasture time. He calls us to be right, to be faithful right where we are, and then uses our faithfulness to accomplish greater things. When we're in that time where it feels like, where am I here? What am I doing? He's doing a great work inside of you, actually. So if David ran scared at the lion or the bear, he would never have been ready to fight Goliath. But he was faithful then, so he'll be faithful now. So what do we get from this? What's the main point? What's the one thing that we can take from this? What's this, the moral of the story? And you've probably heard all the points from this story, right? Goliath represents this intimidating challenge. David stands up against this challenge with confidence and boldness, right? Be like David, be like him. Grab your skill stones and run at your challenges. Just do it. Just like Nike says, just do it. You know, fear the fear. Look it in the eye. Do it anyway. You, you know what? Be you, be strong. Look yourself in the mirror and repeat these words. You are powerful and you can do this. Right? The, bigger they the bigger they are, the harder they fall. There is always hope for the underdog. We love underdog stories. How many people were cheering for Cincinnati last week? The underdog, right? So never stop believing in yourself. Don't stop believing. There's a song for that. I'm not going to sing it because there's copyright issues and everything like that. And we're going on YouTube now. And so I don't want you know, to get dinged. Or how about this? If you trust God, God will give you victory over all your giants in your life. A superior football team, a lousy job, whatever it is, he's going to give you victory. Or maybe God has appointed you to conquer the giant of mediocrity and dominate in your workplace. Amen. And we repeat inspirational quotes to ourselves. I heard this one quote from Roger Crawford. Being challenged in life is inevitable. Being defeated is optional. It's like, oh, wow. It's up to us. Don't be defeated. We got this. Let's go. We can do this. Like, slay your giants. Like, are this, these ser the sermon, like, people run through brick, brick walls. Are you ready to do that? I am. So, but let's look at these characters real quick. 
And let's see what these characters say about us and about Jesus. Goliath, he's this secular view. He's this sinful, selfish worldview. See, Goliath, he embodies this huge confidence in the ability to control his own destiny. He's that secular worldview. I can do this on my own. I can do this. I can beat all odds stacked against me. Where does his power come from? Where does his boldness come from? Where does his heroism come from? It comes from who he is. It comes from what he has. It comes from his education, his smarts. It comes from his previous accomplishments. It comes from his self-esteem. Goliath's about himself. He's about the things that he's accomplished. Sometimes we can fall into this Goliath mindset. Bring it on. I got this. I'm better than that person. Look how strong I am. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at my resume. Lord, I've done this before. I've ran this race before. I got this. What happens when we become like Goliath is this. We realize we're human. And what happened to Goliath is death. But also, when we feel like we're Goliath, we get bitter with ourselves. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough when we fail. And you get upset with other people. Why'd you do that to me? You shouldn't have done that. I'm hurt by that. And you look at life and you see it at its worst. Then ironically, you get upset with God. Sometimes we can be like Goliath. We can have that sinful, selfish worldview. Now, David you're like, yes, this, this, this is us. This is who we are, David. You feel like this is the circle I'm in, the classic underdog story. Okay, good. So I'm David with his hidden slingshot, and I got my smooth stones. I got his rugged good looks, I know. And I got his beautiful eyes, that's me. This is the better way, you know. Unlike secular Goliath, David isn't reliant on who he is. He or what he has, or his previous accomplishments, or his self-esteem. Yes, he has significant faith, but if we make ourselves David, we then take on a religious worldview. We end up in the same precarious place as the secular Goliath. I'm a good Christian. I obey the Bible. I have, I have such great faith. I'm living a good life. Look at me. And I know that nothing's going to, really bad's going to happen to me. But if something goes wrong, we get bitter at God. God, look. Look how good I was. I actually couldn't defeat that giant. Look how much faith I had. What, what happened? What happened, God? What, what happened? I was being like David. The reality is this. David is the Jesus worldview. You've heard me say this so many times before. And I think this image and this story of what I'm about to say maybe goes against, maybe some things you've really heard throughout this story. Often we see David and we're encouraged to be like David. You know, we should take on some of his characteristics, obviously. We should face our enemies. We should grab our smooth granite stones and win our slingshot. But as we look at this story, we have to ask ourselves, who are we in this story? Who are we in this story? And who is Jesus? Who are we and who is Jesus? And the reality is we are not David. David is a picture of Jesus. And we'll get what this means for the giants in our life in a minute. But this book, the Bible, 1 Samuel, first and foremost, is written to make us adore him. To make us adore Jesus. 
It's not a collection of heroes whose examples we're supposed to emulate, but it's actually a collection of stories of a Savior we're supposed to worship. Jesus was the small, unassuming shepherd boy who fought the real giant, our sin and our selfishness. While we stood on the sidelines, it did nothing to help. Like David, Jesus was opposed by all his brothers and abandoned by all of his friends. At the moment of battle, Jesus was abandoned by everyone. Like David, Jesus was the only one who really believed the promises of God. Who really believed them. Like David, Jesus ran onto the field with perfect confidence and he won the victory on our behalf like we all get to and that we all get to share, and even though we didn't lift a finger to help him. David ran into battle all by himself. Israel did not lift a finger. Goliath said he was the champion, and the champion means this. A champion is, um, it's described as this, the man in between. David was going to defeat what stood between Israel receiving what was promised to them, Jesus defeated what was between us and God. The promise that was made. I mean, it's obvious. David is this picture of Jesus. David was a hero who came in weakness and was unexpected. So was Jesus. He came from the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong equipment. David was banished, alone, rejected as a boy. He was not champion material. Neither was Jesus seen as that. Jesus was banished, beaten, whipped, spat on, rejected. Jesus is our champion. He is the one who's defeated the Goliath in our life. So, who are we in this story? I don't know if you'll like it, but Israel is us. We are Israel. Israel, though, could move on because of David. We are Israel because we needed somebody to save us, just like Israel needed somebody to save them. We needed a king. We needed someone to slay our giant. We are, David helped bring freedom to them. We are Israel, and David is this picture of Jesus, and Jesus is the one who has defeated the giant, and because Jesus has defeated the Goliaths in our life, we can face giants because of Jesus. We can look at situations in our life right now. We can look across the valley. We can see that giant across from us. And we can realize that we have a champion who has already struck down the Goliath and we, that we face. And we don't need to face the giants by ourselves because and we don't need to be struck by fear because we have Jesus. And so we can face these giants in our lives as victors knowing that we have Christ with us. When David won, right, the Israelites, they followed. They were basking in his victory. When Jesus won, the call for us now is to follow him and to bask in the victory of Jesus. And so, this is who we are. We are Israel, but we have a David. His name is Jesus, who has defeated the Goliath in our life. And because he is now the champion we can face these giants in our lives right now. So, what is your giant? What is your issue? Maybe what is the sin that you're battling? What is the habit? What is the shame that maybe that you are facing? What is the pain that you're going through? 
Modern secular worldview says, you can do it. Be like Goliath, you're strong. Or maybe be like David, pick up that stone. But we recognize that we are Israel, we have a champion, that we follow David into the battle. Who is Jesus? So we are called to come to the end of ourselves, find our better worldview, and that better worldview is Jesus. I'm going to invite Dan and the team to come back up. We're going to, why don't you stand with me as they prepare to lead us in our last song here. I don't know what you're battling in your life. I don't know the giant that you're facing. The beauty is you don't have to face it alone. You don't have to face it on your own strength. That we have a champion on our side, and his name is Jesus. He has struck down that Goliath. That we can look across the valley. We can look at what is in front of us, maybe is crippling us by fear, and we can say, Jesus is with me. His Spirit's upon me. Just like David did. He saw the battle differently because he was anointed. The Spirit was upon him. He remembered the promises. While Israel, they're like, I'm scared. I'm afraid. I can't do this on my own. Jesus wanders into the camp of our lives. So ask the question. Then take his place on our behalf for us to enjoy the victory of Jesus in our hearts and our lives. Do we live victorious? Or do we live like scrambling Israel? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have come to defeat the ultimate Goliath in our life, the thing that separated us from God. Lord, that victory is with you, Lord. Lord, we are victorious. And so we can look at the things in our life and we can recognize, yes, they can be scary, but we have Jesus with us to face the things that we are looking at right now in our life. And there's so many things that we are facing right now, so many things that we are maybe crippled by fear with. I hope this sermon challenges us to be like, I have Christ with me. I can face these fears. You know, he is victorious. Lord, help me, lead me, guide me in this. And so then we can move. So we can take a step with you, Jesus, because you take that ultimate step through the valley into battle. Lord, we thank you that you are a champion. Amen.